Welcome to Krakoa, but more important, welcome to Doc's Book Chat, where the name of the game is, uh, right now we are not exactly talking about Don of X, we are talking about um, something that was sort of written by the creator of Don of X, but also surprisingly not good. My name is Fox. My name is Almas. My name is Rodders. And my name is Juan. So... This week... This week, we are talking about Avengers versus X-Men, which isn't really highly contested on whether or not it's good, because even the people who like it at best say it's okay. I liked it. Um, well, nobody I asked just, you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just completely neutral on it. I just, it's a, it's a comic book. It's a comic book. That's a good, that's a good description. Can't complain there. Um, so, basically, the, did it, okay, so Zero Issue, Zero Issue was, um, was interesting to say the least, it was probably the last time I ever saw Frank Cho do interiors on a comic, which, that was interesting, I guess. One thing I want to say is Frank Cho draws Cyclops really weird, I don't know if you can see his face, or whatever. But he, he just he looks odd. Like he looks, his head looks like the top of a Q-tip. Like it's very <laughs> round and like, like you could imagine him being his head being used to swab out somebody's ears. But um, and but like it's kind of also cool because he hope battles some random, like r- battles the Serpent Society, and that was fun. But um, yeah, the Zero Issue really didn't do much of anything that we didn't already know. Um. But, okay, so, I think, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I feel like the Zero issue made me irritated at all the Avengers, well, except for, like, Vision, because all the Avengers were like, oh, my God, it's Wanda, we forgive her. That was was a Zero issue, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're like, oh, my God, we forgive her, we love you, come back, and the Vision's like, no. People died, and she manipulated me, and like she did all this crazy stuff. Even if she wasn't in her right mind or whatever, she still has a lot to atone for. How are we gonna just accept her back? And I was like, yes, thank you. <laughs> like, Vision straight up said, "Get off my damn lawn." Yeah. Get off my lawn. <laughs> um, what did you think, Almas? Um, okay, so this is gonna be like such a personal problem with it, but I hate the fact that the book started off. With like Wolverine and Hank on the Avengers, it like I know they're part of the Avenger teams, but the fact that they didn't switch sides at all is so bizarre to me. Considering Logan, personality-wise at the very least, doesn't fit the mold of like being an Avenger. Hank, like I can, because Hank's been on and off like an Avenger for a long time, but with Logan, it's like he's just he doesn't have that personality of being. Um, an Avenger, at the very least. So it just felt weird that they were siding with the Avengers for most of it. I think with Cyclops being more the leader of this whole um, the on the mutant side, I think that's what really made Wolverine not want to like be a part of all of it. Because they've always been his. Yeah, they have like a love-hate relationship, but I think this is more the hate side that he was feeling. And the fact that, and he never really trusts Emma anyway. 
So the fact that those two were basically spearheading this, it just made him more um, want to go on their side anyway. Plus, he he still has a big begrudge against the Phoenix because it killed the love of his life. It killed Gene. So any mention of the Phoenix, he's just going to be like, no, we have to destroy it. Oh, that's another thing I, I dislike just because I felt it was kind of stupid. I always felt like destroying the Phoenix is something really dumb because I feel it's like cosmic force that it, it should be above being like killed at the very least. And I know it doesn't die since we have Phoenix Resurrection later on and all that fun stuff. But um, the Phoenix itself isn't a destructive force and this entire Avengers versus X-Men is like, no. The Phoenix is always going to be bad, which is such a weird take to have, especially after the last, because I'm pretty sure the last time we saw the Phoenix was in Phoenix End Song, where Jean had completely ascended to become the White Queen of the, the White Phoenix of the White Hot Room or something. So it's... The thing is, it's, it all depends on the wielder of the phoenix whether it's going to become something positive or negative and which emotions they feed off of it and you saw like jumping way forward how colossus was wielded it different from all the other ones mm-hmm. I, I think it mostly is the person who wields the phoenix is if it lets if you eat it let the negativity feed at you it's going to be a force of bad yeah you know so I, I don't know. For for me, I felt like the Phoenix is always synonymous with destruction. Well, I feel like with the I feel like with this story, it kind of gave us the clue on how the Phoenix is. It's like yin and yang. However, it taps into the more destructive side of the person or the more creative side, wherever side is more prominent in that person at that point in time. Like with Cyclops, Emma, you know, Namor, obviously, and even Magic, they had a more you know, destructive, evilistic side to them, a more conquering side. So that part just took over it. The Phoenix fed into that. Instead of, like, Colossus or Hope, they're more, you know, positive, more wanting to actually make a difference without, like, ruling over someone. So they're it tapped into more of that side, or at least it tried to. So, because the Phoenix, Phoenix is itself, even beyond comics, is rebirth and destruction. Like, it has to destroy just so it can bring back life again. So it's a, it's both. It, it's never just creation or just destruction. You have to do both to get the full power of the Phoenix. I mean, like, I understand why they set it up, because this book essentially set up um, most of the titles. I think everything from All-New X-Men, Uncanny X-Men, and I think Hickman's Avengers. Um, yeah. I forget what yeah. Jason Aaron was writing at the time. Jason was Aaron was writing Wolverine and the X-Men. Yeah, Wolverine and the X-Men. Wasn't it at the end? This was like at the end of Wolverine and the X-Men. No, Wolverine and the X-Men still went through this. Okay, I, I must have like my timing off, but like I, I completely forgot what he wrote. Yeah. Because um, it was Wolverine and the X-Men, all new X-Men, and Uncanny X-Men all going at the same time. Yeah. Um, I don't know, like a lot of the... A lot, my, like, the biggest grip with this book that I have is that it's boring. It's not a bad book, it's just that it's boring. There's so much you could do with the plot points and setups, but the thing is, because it's written by five different writers, 
and you have five different writers over 12 issues only versus like when we read Inferno, that was like 20 issues. That was like so many, like that was so many issues, but it set up everything and had like this really high dramatic tension with Avengers versus X-Men. You kind of don't have the very high dramatic tension because everything happens so quickly and then it gets resolved so quickly. Well, the funny thing is that all the better parts of the story were happening in the other books. Like, um, there's a lot of books tied into this if you really go into it. Besides actual fighting ones, they also have the ties into the main lines of the stories. And, like, I was really digging those a lot more than I was digging the actual main event one. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have to say that it led out, it led to like Avengers conse- uh, uh, sorry A versus X um, consequences, which is by far better than like Avengers versus X Men. Consequences has a that. has a much better story. I like the opening scene with like Colossus just shooting. It's it's really good. It's a really good. There's there's this really great scene where Hope goes down to meet Namor, and. And Hope's like, you're not going to hit on me, are you? And Namor's like, I don't like redheads. And yeah. and I'm like, ah, that's funny. But, yeah, that was... And also, the the other series that came out of this, A plus X, where you just had those um stories of different X-Men, like mini stories of X-Men teaming up with Avengers. That was also... You're right, like, the books that tied in and then the books that spin out of AVX were so very much better than the series itself. Yeah. Okay. I, I think haven't, the... I haven't, uh... Okay, I'm just going to finish this off because, or else I'm going to like be talking, be interjecting for the rest of the time. But um, I think the problem here is that they had five different writers versus what they should have done is had like Bendis just write this event and with all the other authors telling him what to set up for their books. Right. And then that would be... Because like Bendis writes really good short stories. Um, and if he just wrote all of that and then set up what Hickman wanted for Avengers, what Bendis wanted for his stories, and what like Jason Aaron wanted for um, Wolverine versus uh, Wolverine and the X Men, and then I forget what um, uh, Matt Fa- Fraction was writing at the time too, but I'm pretty sure he was writing something. Um, Thor. So Thor, yeah. And if he just set all of those up for them, and Bendis just wrote the entirety of the script, and they were just like giving him their ideas, I feel like that would have been a more cohesive and more interesting book. Right. To be honest. That's like the I, entire I totally grip with it. Totally agree with that. I I I do agree that that might have made the story a little bit more cohesive in the beginning. To me, I actually I actually really like this event. I only don't like the be- more of the beginning of the dialogue um, with how extreme both Captain America and Cyclops were. Because I feel like if they just... if I feel like it would have been more closure in the in the overall book of the overall event if we had some Captain America and Cyclops just actually talking this out in the beginning, and then they become an argument, and then this all blows up. Like if we actually had just like an actual discussion, not just on the beach, but like a sit down, goes through all the scenarios, and it like sets all this up, you know. But they just throw themselves at it and they just start fighting. That's kind of like cheapens all of it in the beginning for me. But as I kept reading through this event, I actually started liking it more. And it, I feel like it, even though it goes through really fast, the event, as a lot of events do, I feel like it does give a little bit of anticipation because you know, you didn't know Xavier was going to die, but you know, like 
the Phoenix is going to leave them. They're not going to stay with the Phoenix. You know, this is going to get resolved, but we don't know how. We didn't know. I mean, it gave no no clue that we we're going to go to Kunlung. It, like, all this randomness that was happening, I actually really liked it. And it kind of made the story more exciting for me as I was reading. <clears throat> I uh, I definitely like that. That um, Like I said, the side stories were crazy because even then in those side stories, they tied the Phoenix to Kung Lung and how they have their own history with the Phoenix, which is really cool. I like that whole aspect of the story and which is something that Jason Aaron has picked up a lot more recently with his Avengers BC storyline of how like the Phoenix and, and um, the original Iron Fist were on a team together. So it's, it's kind of cool just seeing how like, the circular motion of that story of them being tied together. I never would have expected that. That was pretty cool. Um, I do have to say, like, I, I like the Xavier dying plot point. And, and this is not because I don't like Xavier. It, I feel like that was a good um, arc for Cyclops. Right. I just wish it was been like, it would have been like them just disagreeing at first and then like, butting heads because as much as you know that there's been tensions between Cyclops and Xavier as people you don't really get that tension like if they kept having like arguments every single or maybe not even arguments just talking to each other every single issue up until the issue where he dies Mm -hmm. that would have given like the story a little bit more emotional depth made it a little bit less boring because then you're like oh what's gonna happen because Scott has the phoenix now and like um what is he going to do? How is he going to react? Because the Phoenix amplifies the emotions you feel a hundred times. And so, like, how is he going to react to just, like, the small thing, the small, like, fire that Xavier's going to like in him? You know? Mm-hmm. I feel like they did that, though. And I feel like, I don't know, I mean, we always know that Cyclops and Xavier have a relationship. I mean, that's been the whole history of the X-Men. And then, yeah, they had, like, a father-son relationship. But in the recent, like, stories, they've ventured off. Like, Cyclops has been, you know, distancing himself from Xavier and, you know, running his own thing and doing all this. He didn't need, he didn't need his guidance anymore. He didn't even want or prefer his guidance anymore. He outgrew Xavier's dream. Yeah. And even throughout a few points throughout this story, like, maybe, like, once or twice before they actually met for the final conclusion, like, the professor was like, hey you're doing too much. And he's like, no, I'm doing exactly what you're supposed to do. And I feel like that's why, uh, like, like Cyclops killing Professor X was such a turning point on how he's so far gone. Like, how the Phoenix can tap into that destruction side and how, like you said, anything can set you off, even without buildup. Like, any rational person is going to be like, oh, he's just trying to help me. He's being like the father figure I've always had, but he's so high on himself. I mean, right before that, he just took down Emma, like the like the love of his life at that point. He just took her down. So he's like full of adrenaline and full of anger, and he just lashed out. Yeah, um, I'm not saying it's just like feels like a lot of the a lot of the plot points here feel like very empty because of the fact that they kept switching writers. I feel like this is just like the one book where you wanted one steady tone throughout all of it. Yeah, I didn't like the switching like that. Ugh. 
because Hickman does this really like extern uh, has this, like externalism crisis kind of um, story, and you can see him setting up um, Hawks Pox and his issue because his issue is where Scott tells Xavier like this is your dream I have given it to you when he built like yeah. the utopia. Yeah. So like you can like now like in retrospect you can see what he was building up to, but like if I was reading this event and I'm pretty sure it went over like six this event was like over six months or something. If I had to read this, so. like, every couple of weeks, um, with the pacing that, that, that the book gave me rather than in one sitting, because I finished the book in one sitting, um, yeah. I would have lost my mind. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think um, my perspective on it would have been different if I had to read it, like, weekly or monthly or whatever it was. Because then you'd have to wait and be like, okay, what is happening? What is this? Because... Like, I, when I first read this story, I think two years ago, mm-hmm. like, I bought the book. I have the actual book of it. Um, and I read it in one sitting, too, obviously. So I, you, you get the satisfaction on what's going to happen next right away. You don't have to wait. You're not confused. You're not frustrated. You're like, oh, there it is. So I definitely, I didn't really see it that way right now. But now I get that point. I'm like, hey, if you're reading this every two weeks or something, it probably would really irritate you. Especially the tone shifting. You're like, hey, it was just written like this, yeah. and now it's all different. Yeah, especially, like, when you see, like, certain writers brought in certain artists to work with them. I'm sorry, Colt Bill should have stayed on art the whole time. because Yeah, agreed. That, I was going to say that. That was the best art. And also, like, come on. How are you going to go from him to, like, oh, man, I can't remember who else was it. That I didn't work. Not Kubert, the one that did the earlier ones. Oh, John Romita Jr. Yeah, I yeah, hate no, not his good. art. I hate his I art hate too. His art. He cannot draw people like from a distance. He's only good with close-ups. So everyone looked really janky and like like kitty. And I'm like, oh god, I can't stand his art. So I was like trying to read through that book super fast so I can get to better art. <laughs> Um, well, speaking of art, it's oh. just like I'm oh, sorry. Speaking of art, I just hate the fact that they didn't give like Cyclops a thoughty costume. Like I feel like this is like your one chance <laughs> to give him like a costume that's just like just a thong or something. Right. Honestly. Oh, they um, gave one to Colossus, and I was all here for it. Yeah. Yeah. Like one to kind of Namor too, but he's always like Namor's that. always a slut. Yeah. <laughs> like this. Like, this is the one time you can give, like, Cyclops a costume that looks absolutely ridiculous and nobody would say anything. Right. Because this is not Scott. This is, like, Scott amplified. <laughs> you wanted him to get a, a get a Havoc outfit, like, in Goblin Queen? No, no, no. Okay, okay. So, like, if you look at his, like, Phoenix costume, it has, like, the red stripe at the bottom. If it was yeah. just, the, like, the red parts of his costume, like, with the Phoenix on the top. Uh, okay. And then just, like, a red thong, like, I would be here for it. Right. Like give give some girls the phoenix, like some some like some like service, like some fan service. It's fine. You right. we have all this like fan service with Emma, but like what about Scott? Well, so many Scott's women love Scott. Scott's a freaking prude, and that's his whole thing. One of the things I really did love about this event, though, is how you we got to see the phoenix, even with Colossus, like take over and break them down psychically. Like, we saw Colossus make wills with 
crab legs so and then dumb. and then it's it's dumb but it, I, thought no, they, but, I thought they would be they would yeah, be happy with legs yeah it, it is dumb. it is dumb but that's like it i feel like it did that on purpose it was dumb on purpose because yeah. Ross is almost honestly i love him he's but a he's, sweetheart he's not that smart so this <laughs> because you got the phoenix does you still have a personality you're still not gonna be that smart if you're not that smart in general and then with emma she put herself in a remote location because she did not trust herself and right. she knew that if she kept reading people's minds, it was going to make her angry. And she's already prone to anger before the Phoenix. She's going to go off. And then the next page, you see her killing a human because he killed a mutant years ago. Yeah. Like, I just thought that was, I, w- I feel like that, but between all the other kind of crazy. It's the whole idea of power corrupts. Yeah. I, between the whole event of, like, maybe not that great of writing, I feel like that part of the whole event was really good writing. Yeah. I like that. And it was interesting to like to jump off of that. Um, that each one of them like started off with something positive. Like they were, they were you know fixing all the crops and they were cleaning the water. They were making clean energy. Colossus talked um, that electrical dude into becoming a form of u- usable energy, which was pretty cool, just by talking to him instead of beating him up. And then it started making all the other heroes think like, well, what are they doing that's so bad? Like Black Panther's like, what are, what is he doing? What are they doing wrong? Like, I don't understand. We we wanted to make the world a better, safer place and they're doing it. So now that they're doing it, you're trying to make plans to defeat them or take them down. He goes, isn't that counterproductive? And then Beast even himself goes like, listen, this doesn't make any sense to me why we want to do this. Like, why do we want to take it down? And then you have Captain America being like, but you know something's going to happen. The other shoe has to fall. They have to turn evil. They're going to be bad. They can't have all this power. And like that kind of turned me off from Captain America because I was just like, oh, dude, chill the fuck out. I mean, they're they're trying to like fix the world. I, I get it. Like, you're like, no one should have so much power. But I love the line that um, I can't remember if it was T'Challa or Beasts that said, "Well, what's to keep you from thinking Thor has too much power?" Beast, I believe. So I'm like, right there. Who, who are you going to turn on Thor? They already turned on the Hulk once. Yeah, that's why he was by himself in that mountain. Yeah. So it, it was an interesting perspective of seeing that of like, who gives Avengers that much power? Who makes them? come in and be the police of everybody and then like even captain america says we should have been there for you guys when all these mutants died yeah why weren't you there why weren't you there to help like you find all this like thing all in in the end like you you figure it out towards the end but at that point it's a little too late they could have would have shit is aren't going to help bring back all the mutants that died well it's like it's like it that's very um like a social issue ingrained in the comics it's like oh well the avengers never helped the mutants during their genocide because they're like well you know that's what happens to the mutants it's like what happens like when um people something happens to a person of color a lot of not all but like a lot of white people are just like well that's what happens you know that person went to jail that's just what happens you know that's what happens in those more poverty you know areas this is the social norm. And I feel like that's how they, that's one of the ways they were relating it to this and how Captain America is like, 
towards the end of this event is shown like, hey, you know, maybe if I did try to push forward, you know, caring more about the means, trying to help them, maybe this wouldn't have happened. You know? Yeah. I want to say something, and this is going to be, I'm going to pull an almas here and have a really particular um, dislike about something that's just kind of really stuck in my craw when I read this. The scene in the beginning where the Avengers show up in Helicarrier and, like, they're all battling the X-Men. There's a scene where Namor is battling Luke Cage, and I love Luke Cage, don't get me wrong. I've always really, I've always had a thing for the character since the uh, Bendis New Avengers. There is no way... No way in anyone's mind that Luke Cage should be able to hold his own against Namor. <laughs> no, not at all. But I that think is... they tried to fix that, putting the thing in the water with him. I guess. Yeah, but but like no, like he was like Luke Cage was like able to punch him. That just because Luke's able to tighten his skin does not mean or tighten his bones and his density wouldn't do anything against Namor. I, I'm sorry for just picking... Oh, also, there's another... This is actually kind of a positive thing. There's a scene in the in the beginning. You know how... um, You know how uh, Captain America hits Cyclops with his shield in the beginning of it? Like, just rams him right in the face? Yeah. There's a really great piece of the art where part of um, Cyclops' visors, like, collapsed inwards a little bit. And I'm like, that's really cool, because they never actually show battle damage a lot of the time on Cyclops' mask. Right. But yeah. it's just, it's like slightly like crunched in a little bit. I'm like, you know what, uh, John Romeo Jr., I may not like your art, but that was a very nice touch. Right. I gotta do something right. That was... what, uh, what I did find interesting, and like um, when Rodney was saying earlier how like this whole confrontation starts off super aggressively, it reminded me a lot of like Fantastic Four and uh, X Men, where it's just like, I'm coming to pick a fight kind of mentality. And you're like, you could have just called or sat down and had a meeting. Like, why did you have to come in all aggro? Yeah. Um, that's the one thing like this story just always hit me weird that they, it, it goes straight towards action. It, it went to the Rob Layfield mentality of like, oh, we, we could settle it with fists instead of words. And I'm like, I didn't like that part so much. I'm like, you guys waited until the very end to have the sit-down conversation you should have had at the beginning. Exactly. Really? Man. I'm like, <laughs> no, it was it was a dick-measuring competition at the yeah, beginning. It was. It's like, who's going to stand down? Hope comes with us. No, hope comes with us. I was like, oh, my God. Just, can someone just talk to her and tell her, hey, if the Phoenix comes for you, don't take it. I was yeah. going to say... Back on Fox's point with the Luke Cage in the water, I feel like I, I don't know why they put Luke Cage in that situation because he's also not a fast character. He's no. not known for being fast, so he wouldn't be able to even touch Namor probably. It would have made more sense if they would put like maybe She Hulk yeah. right there or something because she's at least like faster than Luke Cage and stronger. And that would have probably... been so cool. Yeah. A lot of these matchups didn't make sense. Because <laughs> like Namor would have been like, oh, you're hot and, <laughs> and She Hulk. So it's like, no, we're supposed to be fighting. <laughs> exactly. See, it, the dialogue writes itself. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do love, like, when Cyclops is all phoenixed out and he's about to go against Thor and it's one of those big epic showdowns and Cyclops goes, so you're going to beat me with weather? <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's such a good burn. I was like, you go, Cyclops. I like it when you're sassy. 
I that was that was another cool scene in that where Thor goes to swing his hammer and uh, Cyclops just kind of like touches it and holds it there. And yep. he's like, nope. But um, this is this is another thing. Did so how like which tie-ins did you guys read to this? Mm. I actually didn't read any tie-ins, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, I've Are read you? all of them. Well, aren't um, you special? <laughs> but because that's because I read them a while ago, because I was trying to make an edit of like Quinton, and I was trying to look for like his logo. Um, oh. And I know that in that that's in like A plus X. <laughs> so yeah, um, I went as far as right before they brought in the Avengers Academy. I read most of the tie-ins. I did not read all of the X Men Legacy tie-ins, but I read all of. New Avengers, Uncanny X-Men, Wolverine and the X-Men. I definitely read all of Avengers Academy because even when Avengers Academy was coming out, I was collecting it even if I wasn't reading the main Avengers or X-Men series. But Avengers Academy was so good. That was, oh man, that was such a, that was such a good event. Yeah, because I'm like, going to do a good read through of that whole series. <laughs> well, okay, we're, we can't exactly do a... <laughs> no, I'm, I mean personally... Oh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 yeah. Um, Avengers Academy was one of my favorite series of comics because it's written by, who, in my honest opinion, is a very underrated writer, Christos Gage. They, he's one of those types of guys that you they get him to do a lot of, like, tie-in books mm-hmm. because he's a lot like Tom Taylor to where he will write just about any character and get the, like, the science the kind of nitty-gritty of who they are as a yeah. person. And he writes a lot of tie-in books. And, like, he, um, I think the biggest thing he started off on was Avengers Initiative. Mm-hmm. That was his big break. And then he went on to Avengers Academy. But the Avengers Academy tie-ins were really good. And I, I really liked it because it was fun. Like, Quicksilver got to be a nice person for once. <laughs> and... Yeah, see, like, Emma just showing up out of nowhere, and they battled Sebastian Shaw, and all of the young X-Men got to be, like, the young X-Men were, like, able to be sort of friends with the Avengers Academy, and it was great because eventually, like, because it was weird, the Avengers X-Men tie-ins to Avengers Academy was, like, a two-part store, it was, like, four issues, but they were, like, two-parters, the first half was them the Avengers um, showing up and dropping all the X-Men kids off at the Avengers Academy and also dropping off Sebastian Shaw because they had Sebastian Shaw in prison at the time. Sebastian Shaw didn't have any of his memories. Um, and then they, um, and then he broke out and there was like a whole fight and then Giant Man realized, he's like, it's kind of uncool that we're technically imprisoning children here. <laughs> so if you guys want to go, you can. And so he just lets all the young X-Men go, and only, like, one of them stays. Uh, what's her name? Loa? Who's, like, the, um, who's the, uh, Hawaiian mutant young X-Men character? And she stays because she likes the surfing in California. It's <laughs> just like, well. okay, I guess that makes sense. But, um, and then the second part is, um, there was a kid at the Avengers Academy at the time who he didn't really have any powers. His powers is that his best friend was a Sentinel, kind of very Iron Giant-like. Okay. And 
And you remember Emma's task during Avengers vs. X-Men was destroying all the Sentinels. And so she's like, hey, um, you got a Sentinel there. Um, I'm going to destroy that now. And <laughs> it's like, that's my friend. And there's a really great moment where they make an analogy to X-23 where he basically, this kid had tried so hard to reprogram um, the Sentinel to where he would put, like, that want to kill mutants at, like, the very back of his programming, like, to do super deep down to where, like, it wouldn't be, like, his prime directive, like most like most Sentinels are. And so they asked the kid, and he's like, um, the kid's name is Justin, and he's like, hey, Sentinel, what's your, um, what's your prime directive? It, like, protect Justin at all costs. He's like, good boy. And then Emma's like, what's your other directive? And then it was like, destroy all mutants <laughs> and kids like oh no <laughs> I can't to erase a point it. for this giant robot and then but like x23 is like i was built to kill people but i don't anymore and so, <laughs> and so basically lord decides not to join emma because Emma's like you can come home with me like you can just let's go like you don't have to stay here everybody's free you can be whoever you want now you don't have to be an avenger anymore and she's like no i'm gonna stay here you kind of suck and uh laura legit cuts emma even in diamond form with like her claws and it was really cool even though i didn't know adamantium could cut diamond but oh, wow. yeah it was really it was a really cool tie-in and it was um very emotional and like the kids the kids uh sentinel got blew up anyways but Quicksilver had like a quick save, uh, quick save. But he um he grabbed the the Sentinel's core, so they could put him back together again after Emma left. <laughs> it was oh. very like it was very very much an instant fix. But like it was like Quicksilver was like, hey, I'm a good guy, because um, this was at the time um Quicksilver was pretending all the stuff he pulled during House of M was because he was uh replaced by a scroll. A scroll. God, yeah, like was he, such a con. Yeah, he was trying so hard to pretend like yeah, yeah, yeah no, 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 that wasn't me. That was a scroll. <laughs> was not me. Remember when yeah, I yeah. sold Carriage and Mists and tried to bring back mutants? That was also not me. That was also a scroll. Oh, God. Yeah, but his daughter knows. Big lie. Freaking hates him. Where is his daughter anyway? Well, that no, the humans are gone and they're on another planet hiding. Um, but I was gonna, I'm gonna, on your, on back on your point about um. I forget what it was, but something popped in my head about Tom Taylor. And, and I was like, Marvel should get him to write an event. Because, I mean, he writes really good events. Like, I mean, for DC, he wrote, you know, Injustice and Deceased. The Deceased. I mean, those are like alternate reality events. They aren't in the like same, you know, current universe of DC. But I would really, like, they should really get him to write a current event series, you know? I feel like they're really good because he's really good at writing all kinds of characters and like giving a really thought out story. And I feel like that would really help people like start liking events more in Marvel too. I think he's writing a um, a la Fantastic Four X Men. I think he's writing Aven an Avengers X Men series because um, when the when the listing for the free comic book day X Men special came out, there was um. It was Hickman writing a story, and um, 
and Tom Taylor writing a story, and it was going to be like a combination thing. Cause, oh, yeah, he's doing the backup on that Yeah, story. he's doing the backup, uh-huh. and everybody was like, oh, are you writing an X book? And he's like, I'm not just writing X-Men. And then a few minutes later, the artist who was going to be on that tweeted out a work-in-progress picture of Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And uh, t- Taylor... Uh, copied that tweet to his um th- to the comment that he made where he's like I'm not just writing X Men and so he put that right underneath it and I'm like oh you're doing an event and what I think it's gonna be is um every I'm pretty sure I talked about this but at the end no of the secret history of the Marvel universe there was that tease of the marriage between Emma Frost and uh, Tony Stark and I think he's going to be writing that whatever that storyline is gonna be. You see, that's why I wanted to read this story because I wanted to bring back the um, tumultuous relationship that the Avengers have had with the X-Men and how it's had a bunch of ebbs and flows and how they haven't really been on the mutant sides per se. And now with this soon-to-be event, whenever it gets finally released, whenever it gets comics again, um, because I feel like this story is going to have a lot of sway in the way that story comes out. Because, you know, Hickman loves coming back to the past. And we know, and we know that Tony was a member of the Hellfire Club way back in the day. Yeah. I mean, like, everyone's a member of the Hellfire Club. Both Tony Stark right. and, like, Warren are part of it, and that's just by inheritance. Like, they're the two that have their place there, along with, I think, Betsy, all just by inheritance. They've always had a place there. Like, you can't take away their place because they've never had, like, a black king or queen or something. They just had, like, the membership. So I I don't think it's... I don't know. I feel like the Hellfire Club is always weirdly used to just, like... It's just an excuse to have, like, a kinky BDSM club for your plot. (laughs) It's never used in any way that's, like, nice and cohesive. Yeah. It's like an underground sex club. Everyone's got a secret membership, too. Well, if this event, whatever Tom Taylor is doing, if this is Marvel's way of slowly bringing being a mutant, like, finally just okay in the Marvel Universe, I'm all for that. Because I really feel like it just really needs to be moved on from, like, humans and everybody just hating the mutants like them being segregated and all that the mutants are always a red-headed stepchild yeah. but that i feel like that's that's old now i feel like that just needs it needs to we need as a, like even for society having that metaphor it just needs to be moved on from that we need something better than um than that metaphor, we need you know we need actual representation now we can work on like actually fleshing out the um overlapping dynamics okay. you know and, and well we need to I was going to say, we need to show acceptance, you know, more. And more being together in the comics. More than just heroes being diversified between other heroes, you know? But also it gives us, like, once you normalize being a mutant, it gives you more of, like, a way to actually assess, like, how different dynamics play into being a superhero, you know? Right. Like, if you're a Wakandan superhero, you're obviously treated so much different. Like, if you're Black Panther, you're treated so much differently than, like, Captain America, you know? Because, right. like, Captain yeah. America is, like, more... From what I've read, I've, I've read very little Captain America, and I've read very little Black Panther. I've read a lot of Avengers, because um, I do like the Avengers as a team. Um, 
I only. I'm kidding. I I do too. I'm just messing with you. I know. I know. Um, but it's more of like, um, they get treated so wildly differently, and especially, and at least even by fandom, they treat they get treated so wildly differently. And you can see this so much in X Men, where like people will not forgive like Jean or like Emma for doing one thing wrong, because so many people have like such a like such a bad taste in their mouth with like how Gene outed Bobby. Right. But like and I don't know if this is just like something we forget due to collective memory, but like Hack pretended to be gay. Exactly. Like, Wait, what? And, remember yeah, and like Yeah. Okay, jog my memory because I'm forgetting this. He's yeah, like, I... I'm pretending to be gay so like mutants um so like mutants can understand like how it is to like be oppressed or whatever and i'm like i mean just make hank gay you know he already like he's like already one of those characters that you could easily like make gay because um just like so many from what i've seen he's like so big in gay communities even bigger than iceman just because of like how he acts the way he is and especially with his relationship with like wonder man because his relationship with wonder man is like very um subtextual but it's also very like gay they're yeah. very lovey-dovey with each other, and and I don't know if you saw that um that uh, art uh, Luciano Vecchio did he he did of um oh, Exiles yeah. Wonder Man yeah, and Beast. that was yeah. very cute. Like he, sorry, I'm just gonna say he's already gay in AU, so you might as well just make him gay in main verse, and just have yeah. two gay um main superhero, uh, two gay people of that to the O5. You know, it's fine. Like gay people can be smart. Right. It's cool. They can be we're, super intelligent. We're they can pretty be dumb farm sometimes, kids. but we're pretty dumb sometimes. You but know, like... that's what makes. <laughs> I think what makes Hank like an interesting gay person would be just because one, he's not the stereotype completely. He's very smart, and then he's also a farm kid. You know, mm-hmm. so like he adds some diversity to that. Like we're just and white and repressed. And he's got the body dysmorphia thing too. You know, yeah. put that into effect, and you know, I feel like. Um, was it Grant Morrison that mm-hmm. wrote? I feel like him making, him saying, because Beast was going through a, a terrible, like a really crazy time at that time. And I feel like, because he, that reporter rejected him and everything. Mm-hmm. I feel like him finally telling that porter after she tried to make the advance on him again, he's just like, well, I'm gay. He was just freaking out. I feel like him saying he's gay was like him finally putting the final like co- uh, like nail in the coffin of him just rejecting everything. And just trying to be like totally something different, even if he didn't feel like it. Because Scott later in that in that series, like no one believed that he was gay, and Scott himself was like, "Dude, I know you're not gay. Like, <laughs> you just need to calm down. This is." He literally told me, "He's like, it's not right for you to say that you're just gay, even though you're not. Like, you need to calm down." And he's like, "Well, I don't know. You don't know. It could be. Why not? I don't know what I want to do. You know." He was just he's like, "I've had plenty of failed relationships with women, right?" Well, because. I'm sorry, this is, like, about Trish Tilby, who he broke up with. But Trish Tilby and Hank had such, like, a negative, toxic relationship anyway. And they just oh, yeah, pushed yeah. that through X-Factor. And you were just like, okay. And then through X-Men, and you were like, okay, I get it. Like, their relationship was toxic for each other. They just break them up. Just break them up. Because, like, he, ha- he, st- he stays in relationships with women who are bad for him. Which yeah, is, like, the does. opposite of Bobby, who just dates anyone. <laughs> well, the thing is, I think it's because... Hank's thing is that he doesn't feel like he does. He's deserving of something good in his life. 
he's always the woe is me character. Like, that's the role he always gets. Well, that's the role of he, what he gets after, like, he leaves X. I think that's a- after he gets transferred into, like, after X-Men 1990 is when Hank becomes, like, the woe is me character. Because he accepts the fact that he's blue when he's on the Avengers. Like, on the Avengers, it's implied that, like, he has orgies every night. All the women Ooh. want him. Um, straight really? up, like, there's there's a scene where, like, there's a girl who's like, can I have a lock of your hair? And, like, tries to, like, grab hair off of Hank's head. Um, okay. So he's, like, a very popular character. Like, even up until the end of X-Factor, he until his run, the end of his run on the X-Factor, it's, like, he's very loved and cherished. And I don't exactly know where they decided that, like, maybe Hank should be a what-was-me character because he's always been self-accepting. Like, his... Mm-hmm there's a lot of things that change with his character and I guess that's just with time but like the essence of his character is that he's very, he loves himself a lot because his parents love him a lot right yeah. and see that's the thing that I want as soon as he got back with the X-Men he started hating himself again and see that's the thing I want to move away from the X-Men the self-hatred I want yeah. like I want the be more when you read the X-Men it's not about like oh I don't want to be a mutant anymore oh how do we change a mutant oh we got to fight, help this person not want to not be a mutant anymore. It's like, let's move on from that. It's been like 40 years of that, you know? And it keeps yeah. cycling in. Like you just said, he was on Avengers, he loved himself. As soon as the, like, Marvel and the writers got him back to X-Men, right back to the cycle of, oh, I hate myself, I don't want to be a mutant anymore, I should give myself the antidote. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. To okay. tie this back into what we're reading um that's that's kind of like what hope was kind of having that conversation with um with scarlet witch when they were by the water fountain where she was like why am i trying to fight against my own people like why i'm supposed to be the hope for my people why am i trying to go against them my whole goal is i was supposed to be the person that gave us a second chance and that's how i felt like um this whole story was like I can see why people hated it because it was another hero versus hero story and it was another one where like the mutants are the bad guys kind of thing but um it was like the long way of going around to bring back mutants yeah like the MacGuffin was we're destroying the phoenix so we can bring back mutants that's why all this thing needs to happen now let's fill in the blanks in between Basically. Yeah. Sorry, Fox. We keep cutting you off. I no. keep up again. <laughs> I feel like I monopolized the conversation half the time. I went on an entire, like, five-minute, no, like, ten-minute rant about the Avengers Academy, which is not even the next book. Uh, you guys can interrupt me all you want. I have the brain of a gnat, so you can all just <laughs> these. But um, I will say, on topic of Beast, we can all agree, since this is technically involved in this event, uh, Abigail Brand is the best relationship Beast has ever had. Oh, um, yeah. She definitely is. I have a very hot take, and that is Vera, who is his first girlfriend, um, is actually dating Zelda, who was Bobby's first girlfriend. And <laughs> Bobby and Hank, and Bobby and Hank dated each other for a while, but they also dated roommates so they could go on double dates and not be like caught in sixties New York. Right. That would that, be a great twist. That that's like the hot take of the night. I can I can see that being canon somewhere. And I, I like how they just speaking of relationships, I kinda like how they just threw in 
Storm and T'Challa getting a divorce. The divorce was just well, thrown in there. Well, no, I mean, if you read the past comic books, it was kind of like in her solos and everything. It was hinted as they were going through Discord, like yeah. they fought each other before and all this. Like it's 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 been leading to that. But I feel like the the mutants versus the humans, basically, essentially, this is what this was, um, was the final breaking. Like he was like, you weren't you weren't on my side. You allowed. You know, Wakanda, which wasn't her fault at all, but you allowed Wakanda to get destroyed, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, at that point, Black Panther was really, like, into himself. Ego-wise, he had pressure of, you know, being a king and all that and a hero. So I always feel like Storm should always left him. <laughs> I don't think they're a good couple together. I don't think they're good together. And I know in the comics recently, they've been hinting at them getting back together. But I hope it doesn't happen. Because I feel like either Storm should be by herself or just get someone brand new, because all our past relationships have been a little wonky, even with I the one Wolverine. She should just date Castell. That that's like the ultimate relationship. Something about wanting to date your enemy is just so seductive and really good. <laughs> and I think I think we need more relationships that are like that for like women who love women. Enemies you to know? lovers. Yeah, enemies to lovers. Yeah, um, that is a good trope. I do enjoy that. And, like, they're friends now, so we were past, like, all that. Yeah, um, right. Or, or I'd love to see Yukio, her and Yukio again. Um, I know she, cool. is, she hasn't been in a comic since, like, I don't know, the early 2000s? I think the Actually, last time she was in... I think and, she she was in the um, Death of Wolverine uh, tie-in to... Well, no, oh, yeah. the, the, like, the when they were all mourning his loss. She was mm. in the Ty Storm's tie-in. And, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! became even more of a gangster. And Storm basically more or less disowned her. Okay. So, yeah, that was a, um... That was sad. But yeah, also... but, like, so much happens in comics, it's fine. Like, we completely <laughs> ignore so many runs, so it's completely fine. Like, there are so many things I ignore about Apocalypse. It's completely fine. Like, Anything I ignore... In the entirety of X-Force 2008, minus the fact that there was, like, two pages in that book where Apocalypse was completely naked, and it's fully rendered, <laughs> and it's in that book, and nobody said anything about it. That artist was so horny for Apocalypse. How, we're all, we all are. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, anything can be retconned in a page or two. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, yeah. Whole... That could have been an LMD or something, for all we know. Wanda got retconned to pieces. Who did? Wanda. Oh, yeah. That's when she's like, Dad! I'm like, is she your daddy? Well, at that point, I don't think she knew anymore, no, right? Yeah, no. she didn't know The yet. High Evolutionary told them. Yeah, she didn't know yet. And, and it was done in two pages. Yeah. I, retconned it I know pages. a lot of people don't like that retcon, but I like that retcon. After what Wanda and how Quicksilver is, I'm kind of okay with them not being mutants, and I feel like... I. I like that. I don't. I'm okay with them not being Magneto's. I do and I don't because I feel like, okay, that makes it even worse what Wanda did if she wasn't a mutant. But also, that means Wiccan can't be a mutant, and I want Wiccan to be a mutant so bad. I'm sorry, but he can be a mutant ally. (laughs) I love how we're just like, can we just have the people we like being a mutant? Because like, I even came up with a canon on how Kamala could, like, Miss Marvel could be a mutant because I want her to be on Krakoa. (laughs) <laughs> I did I 100% did that I um I still I made a thing where I'm like what if her because the first thing she did when she came out of the um 
bubble was she shape changed or her inhuman egg was she shape changed. Yeah, she went to Captain Marvel, right? Yeah. And then she didn't get her like her height growing powers until one of her friends fell into the pool and she had to save them. And so like that's a traumatic experience, like trying mm-hmm. like you so I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Shape changing is her inhuman power. Her height and like growth and everything change. That's her mutant power. Boom. <laughs> I solved the problem. Okay, I mean, let's if, talk if about they... mutants who we don't want to be mutants. <laughs> like, no, no, no. Like, that t- people we want to be Let's talk who we don't want to be mutants. Let's start calling people to not be mutants. Who do we want? <laughs> who to, do not we want to, to not be to, to not be a mutant? Yeah. Havoc. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of late for that. <laughs> no, it's never too late. Um... I, who do I not want to be a freaking... I'm okay with Sebastian Shaw not being a mutant. I don't like him. He can go away. <laughs> I think I think this is just from like purely like a storytelling perspective because you'd have to like um, jump over so many hurdles to retcon this. But right. um, I'd love to see Evan not being a mutant <laughs> and being the child of like Apocalypse. Mm. That would be a very interesting plot point. I'd love to read it. I wouldn't be able to pull it off, but I think that would just be... Way better than whatever they have set up for Genesis right. at the moment. Um, what other characters would I like to not be mutants? Um, uh, I can't really think of anyone. I think it's just mainly like which characters do I not like and want to go away from books forever. Um, that's pretty much it. Like, that's not <laughs> well, like, the one that was weird for a while wasn't hinted for a good while that uh, Multiple Man wasn't a mutant. Yeah, I know that was hinted. Didn't, okay, so, like, I'm just kind of confused, and since we are the Dawn of X book chat, like, the person who's not a mutant that's been, they've been hinting that has been faking being a mutant is Kitty, right? It's Kitty. Yeah. Okay. That's, well, what, thought, that's a stupid red card. Yeah. Well, I don't think that she's not a mutant. Well, oh, are you talking about the um, Return of Wolverine thing? The, the yeah, Tony Stark team. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I think that's hinted from, um... I think it's hinted that at some point Sinister found Kitty and like replaced her with a clone or something. That would make a lot of sense because everyone kept saying this Kitty is so out of character. This Kitty, like she hasn't dealt with any of her emotional baggage from leaving Colossus at the altar. And I'm like, yeah, because this isn't Kitty. Yeah, maybe she got replaced after she left him because she went on a like a binge thing, right? And yeah. Sinister was planning a lot of stuff then. Yeah, I'm like, she could have been, she's probably been gone since the wedding, we haven't seen her. Because even when she was um, in the Age of X-Men thing, like, right before it, when she was being held by Legion, I was kind of like, this doesn't feel like Kitty. Yeah. I hope she at least gets to keep the red jacket, because that thing is so cool. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Keep, Keep the jacket, that's such a great fashion statement, I love it so much. I just love pirates, I'm sorry, I... I, I grew up on One Piece, the, the manga, so, like, yeah. I, I love, like, pirate attire. Right. And See, so I grew up on Dark Waters, so I get you. Oh, yeah. but if it if it isn't Kitty, then that moment between Emma and Kitty is not is not a thing. Aww. Yeah. That was so good. That would suck. But, I mean, hey, you gotta make sacrifices. <laughs> it's true. I mean, like, if it's... See, like, here's the thing. Then, then the next moment between Emma and Kitty will be more authentic. There you it go. will be better because yeah. now you have a taste of what it could be. You like, know, 
I think that would be awesome if it if it like if the kitty replacement thing went down that far. I mean, it wasn't that far. It was like last year, written or the year before last. But still, like it was planned that far ahead. I feel like that'd be kind of cool. Well, no, because Hickman has been in the yeah. works for a while. For the past two years before this, he's been yeah. writing, or a year and a half, he's been so, writing and planning next. I'm sure that was hinted. And Sinister plays such a huge role in Dawn of X yeah. that, like, yeah, I can totally see it. Yeah. The fact that he hasn't done anything yet is reason enough to suspect that he's planning something really big. Yeah. I mean, like, also, don't forget, Hickman's been planning this since, well, Avengers versus X-Men. This yeah, entire... Yeah. Wait, let me pull up the line. He... Cyclops goes... Not Cyclops. I think it's Magneto who goes on the entire rant. One minute. Um, you guys can talk while I find it. Okay, um, let's everybody, let's talk about Amas now. Okay. <laughs> you know, um, well, while she's doing that, uh, I did want to say about the one, the one line I really dug about this story was when um, Cyclops early on was talking to Professor... And he's like, oh, well, you taught me too well. Like, I'm doing this because you taught me too well. And now I'm, like, surpassing you. Like, it's one of those, like, the student has outgrown the teacher kind of mentalities. And I think that's when, like, the tone shifted and, like, Cyclops automatically. And he's been different ever since then. Yeah. That's why I think it's interesting, like, with, like, in Dawn of X, like, all these costumes... Like which costumes they picked for these characters, I was like, they all I feel like they all have these costumes for a reason. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm okay. sad that I'm sad that we didn't get a moment where Beast is talking to Cyclops in the Phoenix form, because mm-hmm. you know they have a, they're part of the original five. They have a connection. We got Iceman. He had that little bitty moment towards the end, I, and Beast he didn't get any moment to try to talk Cyclops down because Beast wasn't. On, on their side. I know, but yeah. still. Beast was drowning in his own hubris. Right, um, yeah, okay, right. so here's the line. It's like, we have been feared and hunted. We have been feared and hunted. We have become endangered. We are so very few, and yet they still keep coming for us. Now even our most powerful, when we are trying to favor their ma- to favor of remaking the Earth into a more livable place, even then, mankind feels bold enough to send their heroes here, to see our innocent, to take away our tomorrow. Like, that's a very clear setup to what we're seeing now yeah. in Dawn of X, where, like, the, it's, like they're not doing anything, but they're still being attacked. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you brought that one up, because I totally screenshotted that conversation. I was going to post it tonight, too. <laughs> because that, I, I, just like you said, it was, like, right there. It's early enough, and it's that seed was planted, where it's, like, why can't we just live our lives? Like, they had utopia, you know? And then that's where the whole mentality of Pax Utopia came into play. Mm-hmm. They're like, we're trying to give you guys everything you ever wanted, and still you guys try to hunt us down. There's also the here is your dream, Charles. I have given it to you. It carries a sort of like a different weight when you realize that Moira had told him the f- the path, like the lives she's gone through, and Charles like rejecting Scott's utopia makes yeah. more logical sense when you consider that, like, Xavier knows something he doesn't. Right. Because, like, in this book, you're like, Xavier, what the hell are you doing? This is literally your dream and you're, like, rejecting it. Mm-hmm. But then when you give the context of, like, House of X, where Moira told him how many times mutants die no matter how hard they try, 
it kind of makes it kind of gives him like more of a reason like why Xavier is like this in this book. You yeah, know, true. It does. God, comics are fun, everybody. <laughs> well, before we end, I just have to say, like, my favorite line out of the in- entire book, because I just, I know I said that I, I have, I'm very neutral about this book, but there are, like, a few very good parts. And I think my favorite part is the, where Emma and Scott are talking, and she just tells him, you want to kill me and burn me, and all I've ever done is love you. Oh, and I yes. feel like that's, that line, like, whenever I read it, whenever I hear it mentioned, I feel like... Like, I want to love someone so badly that, like, I can tell them something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. It, just, it just shows you that, like, Emma and Scott have had this intense relationship over the past couple of years and can't just be simplified as, like, um, Emma coerced him to cheat on Jean with her. There's right. so yeah. much more to it. And I think this is just, like, the um, <clears throat> Scott-Emma moment for me. Right. Well, I don't... shit, like, she was so in love with the dude that she pretended he was still alive. Mm-hmm. Like, during the Inhumans or his next yeah. I'm like, come on. I think That's... my favorite moment of the event probably came from a tie-in, and that was the, um, the tie, it was the new Avengers tie-in, it was, um, it was in Kunlun, and the Iron Fist Master... I, I literal Iron Fist's master was like, okay, um, he he brings hope to meditate, and he's like, okay, maybe if we meditate, maybe you can figure out what we have to do with you, and so Hope has a vision where she envisions the phoenix, but it turns into like a spider for some reason, and then, and then uh, the teacher is like, okay, we have to bring you to the spider, and she's like, say what now? And then it just <laughs> goes over to Spider Man, he's like, say what now? And so. And so he's like, oh, you have, and uh, the teacher looks at Peter, he's like, you have to teach her now. And he's like, um, what do I have to teach her? <laughs> and he's like, I'm not, he's like, I'm not good at anything. I was barely even a good science teacher. <laughs> and he, he's like, and he's like, well, maybe you're supposed to teach her about self-hatred. And he's like, well, yeah, I am pretty good at that. Oh. And <laughs> so he basically, and so he basically tells her straight up he's like with great power comes great responsibility and and he's like and he's like who told you and she's like who told you that and he's like my uncle and she's like did he tell you that over like over breakfast or something and he's like uh sometimes <laughs> but it makes sense and he's like he goes on this whole thing and he's like when you have the power to do something and you don't do it you will feel bad for it afterwards <laughs> He's like, trust me, I know. And so, and so he goes on, like, this long thing, and, like, you see it, like, slowly, like, sink into her. She's like, oh, my God, he's right. And then he walks away, and he's like, well, you know, that's all I got to say to you. With great power comes great responsibility. And he walks away, and he's like, she's like, hey, he's like, hey, wait a second. Did your uncle say anything else? Um, um, maybe I should dress like you. Where did you get your costume from? <laughs> and she just chases after him. And it's, it's a really adorable moment, because it's like, Peter's Peter's a good Peter's a good mentor to teen characters honestly speaking because he's so he is kind of a child himself in a lot of ways but he's but he also has the age and the understanding of wisdom to where he can sum up anything that how a super cuz that's why his saying is so perfect if you have the power to do something you should do it 
if you have the ability, you should do it. You can fix things. And so that was just that was just a really great moment because it's like <laughs> just her really like, hey, should I dress like you? Uh, she has it's it was a really fun connection because I I love when Spider Man interacts interacts with the X Men. He's a very he's a very fun character when he interacts I feel with like them. He should be a mutant. <laughs> yeah, Spider Man. <laughs> oh man, that would be hilarious. He taught that, that at the be... academy. Yeah, that's true. Give him he a big a old X logo. I feel like one of my favorite moments was like towards the end. It was like um a splash well like one page splash page of when they're all fighting Emma and Scott and Storm comes in and she's like, Emma, I've been wanting to say this to you for a while. And she just sends a hellstorm after her. That page is so beautiful. And obviously Emma and Storm have had a lot of transgression throughout the years. And I just thought that was really funny. <laughs> Even though I didn't do that much to her because, you know, she has Phoenix. But I just thought it was really cool, and it was a really beautiful page. So I was like, when when I first read that, like a few years ago, I was like, ah, oh, hell yeah, I really like that page. Oh, and um, magic about to exit um, through a wormhole, and she sees Wanda, and she's like, ah, oh, you, like the person who destroyed the mutants, you die now. She sends like the phoenix claws after her. That's really beautiful too. Even though Wanda knocks her out. <laughs> I um, I don't mean to keep going into tie-ins. There's just there was an, another great tie-in. I think it's Uncanny X-Men, where it basically shows the fight entire the final fight entirely from inside Scott's head, and near the end, um, like after when he right when he's about to get punched by Scarlet Witch and Hope, he has his vision. He sees, um, I forgot what he's what um, uh. Jean says, but, like, Jean talks to him. She's like, hey, you know, you really messed up here, man. And, but she's like, tell Wolverine I like the name of his school. <laughs> and leaves. And it's, but it was a really great, it was a really great time. Because you see, like, you can see uh, Cyclops slowly losing his grip on reality. Like, he, like, he imagines himself completely murdering Beast and, like, Beast's body being like eaten alive by um by like worms and stuff, and but like then Beast is fine and like Cyclops is like ah uh, like you can see like he's like oh man, in, even inside Cyclops' head he could tell that he was not in the best place. Yeah, and so it was a it was a good it was a good time. A lot of the tie-ins were like I said better than the main event itself. Right. Um. I do have to say that, sorry, A plus X, the Wonder Man and Beast, um, the Wonder Man and Beast issue was really funny, because Wonder Man was not in this event, and then Beast was on the Avengers side the entirety of the time, so it doesn't make any sense to be in there, but it's the best, because they, um, try to wax, um, Wolverine's hair off of him. (laughs) It's very good. I think my favorite stories from that were... The Iron Man Kitty Pride story, where uh, t- Iron Man tries to, because Kitty's like super smart. That's a lot of things people forget, and he tries to recruit her for Stark um, Industries. But like at the same time, the Brood attack, and the Brood attack, and so she like, and the Brood somehow get inside Tony's armor, and like use them, and so to basically kill the Brood, she 
uh, Kitty phase through all of their armor and and completely shorts them out. And Tony's like, oh, your power dismantles electronic devices? And he's like, yup. And he's like, well, it was great talking to you. Um, The exit's that way. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you can't be around here. No, no. Take and down all the- Stark Industries in one touch. Yeah. And then there was the um the Rogue Black Widow story where uh Rogue kisses um no, Black Widow kisses Rogue. And uh then there was the Quentin Choir Captain America story which was really good. I'm guessing you read that almost. Um I hate it just because like why? <laughs> okay, so okay. Okay, I'm going to be um a filthy Quentin Choir fan for like 2 seconds. But um, I don't think Quentin should ever forgive um, Captain America because he had Quentin declared a war criminal. And all he technically did was make everyone piss their pants. So it's fine. <laughs> mean fair point. Sorry, Juan. We keep cutting you off. I'm very oh, sorry. No, We're very. Fine. Um, God, okay. Um, my favorite part of this whole story was um, basically when Emma and Scott were the only two with the powers. And Emma was uh, making all the mutants bow for her. And then Magneto thought he would come in and be on Mr. High and Mighty. And she comes in and she's like, do I need to recite your sins to you, Magneto? Absent father, traitor, murderer. How many of us died under your watch on Genosha? How many of my students? And I was like, oh, God, Emma, you got him. You, you. Caught him at the jugular with that one, mm-hmm. and then he starts sweating it, and I was like, "Yup, don't come for her because she she can tell you how it is." I'm like, because at the core of it, Emma is still a teacher, and she loved her kids, so she's like, "No, no, no! If anyone's gonna try to come for me, it's not gonna be you." And I love that moment. It was so tense. This is something I see, like, because we were talking about um, Girthy siblings, um, me and Fox's mutual friend Swan. We were talking about the Girthy siblings and how Paige was forced to change herself and how other people perceive her um, because of Emma. Because Emma had this, like, very high standard of beauty and, like, how you should be perceived, etc. And Paige is very, like, this, um, this girl who is from a farm and who doesn't really care about how people perceive her, but yeah. she's forced to, like, care about herself. And I keep wondering that maybe Sam was thinking about how much he doesn't believe, like, in Emma because of the way she treated Paige. Right. Like, um, I don't think Emma is, like, a bad teacher at all, but I do think she made Paige into something that Sam didn't recognize, and maybe that fed into why he didn't particularly want to um, basically bow down to Emma. Right. I can see that. That and, like, you know, no one should be made to seem like they're better than the rest of all the mutants, you know? Yeah. You're, you're, you're supposed to be fighting for the mutants and you're making them bow down to you like you're a god above them. I was kind of like, oh, shit, that's that's something right there. And then she's sitting in her own throne. I was like, oh, dang, she's really uh, eating this all up, isn't she? So you the phoenix tap into the destruction part? Yeah. She was buying her own stuff. All I right, guess that's yeah. all we have to say about this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's all I have to say. Mm-hmm. So next week we're ta- we're reading Extreme X Men um, because I like to suffer. 
Um, it's an endurance <laughs> test. Oh, yeah, there's so many right, words yeah. in it. Claremont. You're not the biggest Claremont fan. It's just that he writes so much. He does. So, so many it's words, an endurance so test. Bubbles. And the so part it's, of Extreme it's... X-Men we're reading is the um, Destiny. Yeah, the Destiny, the books of Destiny, where they're mm-hmm. looking them up and trying to burn them. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be fun. It's going to tie in more to Dawn of X. Yeah. I've and... never read this before, so I'm, I'm not actually looking forward to it. Same. Um, it's incredibly horny. There's a scene. <laughs> okay, I'm just, I, I'm just going to like prepare you guys, but there's a scene where um, Hank licks Beth, Betsy's face for no reason. Oh. Oh, God. I'm here for it. But it also <laughs> has one of my favorite characters who's Thunderbird, but not Thunderbird that you think of. The Thunderbird that's actually Indian, as in from India. Oh, um, yeah. It has Neil, so I'm very excited to read him again because I love talking about him. So it's going to be an exciting <laughs> issue for everyone, even though it's endurance test. Well, I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to read it. I can't wait. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah. All right, everybody. It's time for us to sign off. I'm oh, we, we didn't give each other the order to sign off. We're sorry, guys. <laughs> We're, we'll get better, we promise. Uh, I'm Fox. You can find I'm, me at AgentFit77 on Twitter. I'm Almas. You can find me at Unworthington's on Twitter. And if you're feeling weird, I'm on Archive of Our Own at Diamond Gore. <laughs> uh, I'm Juan. You can find me at Chango ATX C H A N G O A T X. And I'm Rodders. You can find me on all the socials at Rod Bunny Slay. Okay. Thanks for staying at our habitat, everybody. Have a great day. Bye. 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 Bye.